were listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Our passage this morning is in John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 32, or sorry, through 34, if you can uh, find that in your Bible. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. It's good to gather with you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I hope we can remedy that after the service. Please feel free to come up and say hello. Uh, if you've been coming to Sojourn over the last few weeks, you know that we have been uh, begun a new sermon series called Seeing Jesus, and we're walking through what's called the Gospel of John. Uh, the, the recounting of the life of Jesus, and really with the goal of really seeing who Jesus actually is. So even as Eric shared with us this morning, who do you actually believe Jesus is? And so we get to continue in that this morning in the text that Rebecca just read for us. But I'm excited because today my friend Reed is here, and he's going to be preaching out of God's word for us. So Reed, why don't you come on up? <clears throat> Reed Monahan is uh, a friend. We've known each other for about 12 years, and Reed... Uh, over the course of that 12 years, went up to New Jersey with his family and planted and pastored a church called Jacob's Well in New Jersey and was faithfully serving there for about 10 years. And recently, in the last couple of years, relocated to Blacksburg, Virginia, where he's doing some ministry down there. 
uh, and continuing just to be faithful in proclaiming God's word, speaking all over the place, doing all kinds of different things. But I'm excited for him to be here this morning. I think you guys will be blessed by our brother as he opens up the word for us today. So, brother, thanks for being here. Let me pray for you before you get going. Father, give you thanks for today. Give you thanks for my brother Reed, who's here this morning to just preach your word. God, I pray that you'd fill him with your Holy Spirit. God, that he would preach out of a confidence not in himself, but in your living and active word as your spirit works in our hearts and minds. So God, I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for your grace in his life, that he is faithfully following you and seeks to faithfully proclaim you. And so I pray that he do that today for your glory and our good. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right. Thanks, Justin. It's um, it's a real honor to be here. I was supposed to be here this during the summer, and Justin had asked me and said, "Hey, pick any psalm you want in in this range, and you can do that." And I had it all ready, ready to go. And then my family, I have uh, uh, my wife and I have been married almost 24 years. Um, yeah, yeah. How about that? Like almost what is it, 25 at Silver or something coming up? Um, I have an 18-year-old daughter now who's applying to colleges. Crazy. She just turned 18. I have a 16-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son who came last, and that was exciting. And uh, all four, my wife was a national championship soccer player. She played with Mia Hamm. She's got rings. She's the true talent of our family. Yeah, I mean, it's legit. It's not like hype or anything. Like, uh, we were athletes. Uh, I grew up in Virginia and went to the University of North Carolina. I know we lost Appalachian State, and we should have beat Clemson. I know about these things. Um, but my wife came to me and said, you know that weekend where you're going to go preach for Justin, we have four teams playing soccer as many as 16 games in a weekend, and you're going to dip on me on that weekend? And I said, well, I guess I'm not. And so Justin graciously allowed me to swap, and then now I have all these verses about John the Baptizer with all this incredible theological complexity in one sermon, thanks Justin, uh, to do... Uh, with you today. Um, so, but no, I'm honored to be here. I actually did speak here in 2016, right when we had transitioned back to Blacksburg, and I got assigned a topic on fasting. At least that morning, I had this dilemma whether I should eat breakfast or not. Today, I took full advantage of the hotel breakfast. So, um, my life has become kind of strange. I went to UNC on a wrestling scholarship. Uh, wasn't a believer. My dad's an ex-Irish Catholic atheist Navy guy. Uh, yeah, it's kind of complicated. Um, also, like liked the bottle, like lots of Irishmen do. And so, I, I went down there to study physics uh, and wrestle and became a Christian. Changed my life, radically, radically met who's my wife today. Uh, and then we were in campus ministry together for many years. Actually, I think while you were at Virginia Tech, we may have crossed uh, shoulders then. When I, I'm one of three people who led Michael Vick to Jesus, uh, ineffectually, but the last one with Tony Dungy, I think, did stick. Uh, so we spent our time investing the gospel on campuses and then in pastoral ministry for 12 years, and most of that in New York City Metro, uh, planting churches all over the Garden State of New Jersey. Any New Jersey people uh, here today? No? Okay, good. I can make fun of New Jersey. <laughs> um, for the last three years, I started a ministry called Power of Change, which exists really to support and strengthen local churches, share the gospel with young people. So I do a lot with Christian thought and apologetics and speaking on campuses. And then also help the church to be thoughtful in our engagement with the world around us. So we have a podcast that's getting uh, pretty uh, fun called The Gospel Underground. So if you're thinking, wow, I drive on the Beltway and I listen to podcasts, there you go, gospelunderground.org. I also still teach the Bible regularly. Uh, last year, uh, 12 times during the year on a Sunday morning, I did things like this. And from now until Thanksgiving, I'm gone every weekend doing some sort of ministry. So I have a really gracious, gracious wife. So that's a little introduction. 
Uh, that's all I'm going to say about me because today my sermon title is, It's Not About Me. So let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for calling us uh, children, that you take people uh, from all walks of life, whether they believe in you or not, whether they're raised in different uh, philosophies, religions, perspectives, uh, and you grab hold of us in your time and place. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here today, whether they've been a Christian for a minute, for a long time, or just wandered in for the friend today. I just pray that we'd see something beautiful about Jesus, and that in seeing him, be beholding him, we would be changed, and we'd be a community of folks who love and serve in your name as you seek and save people through us. And Lord, I just now pray that you would give us enlightened eyes to see wonderful things in your word as we study the scriptures together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're obviously we heard the text today that we will be traveling in, and it comes on the backside of this wonderful prologue of the Gospel of John that you guys have been reading and studying together, that Jesus is the pre-existent Son of God, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled and lived among us. And this man named John was mentioned early in that prologue, not as the light, but as a witness to, or someone pointing to the light to someone else. And the wonderful verse that we looked at, that any of those who believe in his name, whether from whatever background, we can become children of God. Born supernaturally into a relationship, forgiven, set free to live as children of light. Now today, this person, John the Baptizer, I call him John the Baptizer, not to bum out Presbyterians and Methodists, call him John the Baptist, uh, but he has a message for us today, that life itself is not about you, it's not about him, and it's not about me. Now some of you, when you were little, maybe played some games like Pin the Tail on the Donkey, anybody ever done that? Or anybody ever been guided, blindfolded to try to find some destination? Like, yeah, have you done that? Uh, for instance, this picture here I'll show you guys is a, someone in a forest. Now, just imagine for a second, this young lady ha has said, hey, I want you to go down to that big tree over there, and there's like, there's an engagement ring behind it. Uh, there's, an, there's something there for you, a surprise for you. And, and the young lady's walking around the forest going, is this it? And you're like, warmer, 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 right? You ever done that? And then, like, colder, you're getting cold, you've got to find your way, right? Today, John the Baptizer is going to do this for us. He's going to tell us, no, no, don't look here, don't look here, red hot, look right here. Look with me at verse 19, verses 18 through 23, if you're a note taker, I've just entitled this, Don't Look Here. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him who are you? Now we know from church history and the other gospels in the Bible that John it was kind of leading some sort of revival in the wilderness. That people were coming out to him and being baptized, hence his name. And so obviously those who were in a position of religious authority and influence in Jerusalem had interest, right? They were under the domination of Rome. There were all sorts of people saying that they were deliverers, uh, rescuers, messiahs coming about. There was this hope that God was going to do something in the last times to set his people free. And all of a sudden there's a ruckus out going on around this person, John. 
He was dressed weird, like one of the Old Testament prophets, and camels, and eating bugs, and honey. And, and, and so obviously they said, hey, you need to go see what's going on. So there's this religious delegation sent out to see what's going on here, and who is this person? And they asked that simple question, who are you? And verse 20 is a very interesting construction. It's an interesting sentence. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, it's an interesting statement because he's going to bear witness. He's going to make a confession about who he's not. Now, even the construction in the original languages of the Bible here uh, uses the word, it really says, I not I am, right? And you translate that into English, I am not. Verse 21, and then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now, this Elijah figure is a person in the Old Testament, and there was a promise through the prophet Malachi, one of the Old Testament writers that someone would come forth in the spirit and power of Elijah before the coming day of the Lord right before God's Messiah so Elijah had a big role in people's expectations about uh, the end of all time when God would save and redeem all things and he says to this I am not are you the prophet and he answered no now this phrase the prophet comes from Deuteronomy 18 in the Old Testament, where a promise that a prophet like Moses, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen to. So again, this tradition that came through the Jewish people, through their scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, into the present time of John the baptizer and Jesus, People were awaiting a savior, a prophet, that someone would fulfill all these things that were promised long ago. So when this ruckus is going on, the religious say, hey, are you the guy? Are you the man? And John's response is, I'm not, I am not, no. So they said to him, verse 22, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. See, what John the baptizer does here, he connects himself to the Old Testament, the Hebrew tradition, but in a way that they did not expect. In other words, he says, I am someone who's making a way for another. Now, you typically don't do this. In fact, uh, professors in seminary say, hey, if you're using too much Greek in your sermons, it's like your underwear. You need to wear it, but you don't need to show it to everybody. That's what my Greek professor told me. But here it's very interesting to look at the, the construction in the actual languages of the Bible for, for one reason. This construction of this I am not, right? Ego uk me." is actually repeated by John, I am not, I am not. No, it's also said by Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, later, as you'll see in the Gospel of John in chapter 18. Now, in John's situation, he's saying, I am not, I am not, I am not, for a reason, right, to point to someone else. 
Peter does it in the opposite way. He says, I am not, I am not, in his denials of Jesus. One is a faithful witness, the other is an unfaithful witness who is denying Jesus with those same words. Now, the interesting thing about the Gospel of John's language is that you guys will see as you travel through this, the ego ami, the I am, is all over John's Gospel. Whereas John the baptizer saying, I am not, Jesus is literally called I am. I am the bread of life, John 6. I am the light of the world, John 8. I am the door, the gate, John 10. I am the good shepherd, John 10. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. I am the vine, you are the branches, John 15. So the Apostle John, in writing this for us, and even using this language from John the Baptizer, is telling us it's not about us. It's not about John the Baptist. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the one who is, the I am himself. New Testament scholar John Kostenberger says this very succinctly, sums it up well. John's statement is related first and foremost not to who he is, but to who he is emphatically, right? I strenuously object. Emphatically is not. He is not the Christ. What John is telling us, you're out here, you're getting warmer, but don't look here. Don't look here. Verse 24 through 28, again, if you're a note taker, also don't look there. Don't look there. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why are you doing this? And John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing him. So they asked him a reasonable question. Hey, if you're not the man, why are you doing this? Why are you baptizing? Now, if you think about it, uh, the, the Jewish community had washing rituals for purity before God, right? So this idea of using water for cleansing was very much a part of their life and tradition. And John, him, he's clearly told us that his baptism was for, in other places in the Bible, repentance. To call people back away from themselves to actually be worshipers of their God. And he's doing this in the wilderness. And they're saying, why are you doing this if you're not the big time guy many times people would baptize uh, their disciples to say hey they're part of this new community now and so the jewish leaders from jerusalem who had been sent are trying to make sense of why he's doing what he's doing and he again clearly says look uh, i baptize you with water but someone's here someone's here one you don't know He's the one who's the great one. Now, this is interesting because when someone's becoming famous, many times they start to believe their own press, right? When someone's on the rise in whatever field of life it might be, could be in an academic discipline, could be in political realm, could be in the world of entertainment, could be in religious circles. When someone's star is on the rise, it's very easy for them to start to think, it's all about me. But the baptizer 
was very clear. In fact, you guys will see this text later in John 3. When his star was on the rise, he did not let it go to his own head to say it's about himself. In fact, some of his disciples later asked him, hey, Jesus is getting pretty popular now. Does that bother you? This is John 3. Now, a discussion arose among some of John's disciples and a Jewish person over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, now he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, and I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stares, stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This was the perspective of John. Even though this great commotion was around him, he knew that it was about Jesus and not himself. Now, these folks that are coming, the religious leaders that are coming to question him, John kind of says something. He kind of pokes the bear a little bit here. He's like, who you don't know? Who you don't know? You see, they had the scriptures. They had these predictions and prophecies, but he's saying, you don't know this person. Now, fascinating, any geography people ever take a geography class? Anybody like maps? Anybody like to travel, right? Come on now, yeah. It's interesting to see where this is happening. Is this religious revival happening in Jerusalem? At the temple, the place where the presence of God was to dwell? In fact, if you look at the way uh, that Luke's gospel, one of the other writers in the New Testament, introduces John the Baptist. This is Luke 3. And I want you to hear all the pomp and all the power surrounding the people involved here. And think about where this religious revival is taking place under John the Baptizer. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Now from the time of the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament, to the time where God spoke to John in the wilderness, God had gone silent. And when He chooses to speak, after those 400 years, He chooses to speak in the shadow of the political power of Rome, in the shadow of the religious establishments in the temple in Jerusalem the great city of the king, apart from this city, apart from that place, apart from its authority, he speaks to people and meets them in the wilderness. Now, last week, I know Justin mentioned, uh, God called his people out of slavery in the Exodus, out of, out of bondage in Egypt, to freedom where? In the wilderness. 
He sets up a tabernacling situation where he meets his people and they become his worshipers in the wilderness. And then the Word that was with God and the Word that was God at the beginning, this Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us. And God is meeting His people at a revival where? Not in the temple, but in the wilderness. And again, John is trying to be a good guide to all of us. Hey, don't look here. Don't come out here to see me, right? Don't look there to all the places of pomp and power. But now he's saying, hey, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Now it's time to take off the blindfold and to see. Look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold. This is an exclamatory in in the Bible. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now is the time that the baptizer and the word of God wants us all to see, to behold, to not miss this. And we see both a title of Jesus and the work that he does. Theologians talk about this all the time. The person of Jesus, who he is, The work of Jesus, what this Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the prophet like unto Moses, what this person does. First, his identity is that he is the Lamb of God. Now, I didn't grow up in church, man. I didn't have Sunday school classes or nothing as a kid. Uh, In fact, I remember the first time uh, sitting in uh, the women's basketball locker room at UNC Chapel Hill, and somebody said, turn to 1 Corinthians or something. I'm like, hmm, there's no Corinthians in the Bible. It's an example. I had no idea where anything was or or what anything was. And so I I remember making a bookmark that had all the books of the Bible on them so I could cheat, right? And like they said a book and all the church kids, I'm like, all right, I'll catch up here, right? So sometimes phrases in the Bible would catch me, right? And so this phrase, the Lamb of God. Was it Mary had a little lamb? What is God like old McDonald? What God's got a pet farm? What is this? Right? God has lambs? Now you Bible scholars are making fun of me right now. You see, in the Old Testament, God had set up a system of worship and a system of sacrifice so that they would know that God is holy and that He longed for people to worship Him, but their sins had to be dealt with. And the sacrificial system in the Old Testament where lambs would be sacrificed and blood would be shed to cover the sins of the nation and of the people so that their fellowship and unity and worship of God, that they could approach Him. And year after year after year, sacrifices had to be made repeatedly over and over and over in all of its weariness. And so when we read, Behold, the Lamb that God provides, the sacrifice that God is giving for the sins of people, the soul of the person hearing that proclamation would have left with joy because this was the strongest approach from God 
that they had ever seen. He is the Lamb of God, Jesus, and what does He do? He takes away the sins of the world. Now in that sacrificial system in the Old Testament, there would be two goats or two lambs sacrificed. One would be called the scapegoat, and one would be called the sacrificial lamb. The scapegoat, the priest would take his hands and place it on uh, this animal and lay upon it the sins of the nation. And it would literally be sent out, where? To the wilderness, to take the sins of the people away. Uh, the, The theological word for that is expiation, to take away their sins. And the other animal would be sacrificed and its blood shed on behalf of, as a substitute for others this idea of taking away sin expiation and sacrifice taking the punishment for sin propitiation jesus was embodying these things verse 31 i myself did not know him but for this purpose i came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to israel now, if you read the, the whole Bible, you think, what do you mean you didn't know him? Right? Because like, you think they're, they're cousins, right? Did Jesus not come to the fish fry or, you know, come to the barbecue? Right? He wasn't eating samosas with the people? What? What? what, what? John is saying he is revealing him as he is. I always thought about this, too, about Jesus had brothers. He had half-brothers. And they knew him, but they did not know him till later, right? When James knew Jesus, right, he knew knew him, but he did not know him as he did later when he became a worshiper of him, the risen Christ, and the pastor of a church in Jerusalem that worshiped him, right? John the Baptist said, for this purpose, I understand, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. Now, this is great. John says, I'm his front man. I'm the guy rolling out the red carpet. I'm the announcer, right? I get the microphone at the wedding to announce the honored guest coming in. He's the opening act for the main event. Verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descended remained. This is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness or gave testimony to that this is the Son of God. Now again, this whole idea of baptism is tracking to its fullness now. The ritual washings and purifications and the traditions of the nation of Israel The coming of John the baptizer calling the people back to their God and away from their sins and themselves. Jesus now is going to be said to baptize with the Holy Spirit. There's 15 sermons in that one phrase that I don't have time to give today. And depending on what religious tradition or no religious tradition you come from, that's either a weird phrase or it's everything to you or it's something you're running away from. Baptism of the Holy Ghost, right? I'll just quote one theologian. Baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to the activity 
of the Holy Spirit by which someone begins and is born anew to spiritual life. That God regenerates and makes us new. You'll see this in John 3. Being born by the Spirit and by which He cleanses us and gives us a clear break with the power and love of sin. In this way, baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to all that the Spirit does at the beginning of someone's life in Christ. One of the things that Jesus does in the word baptism is a beautiful term. He takes us into something new, into a relationship with God Himself, into Himself, and into His church, His family. This he describes as being born anew. I remember I first heard the term born again, which you'll see in John 3, and I thought, well, that's weird people I saw on TV growing up. What does that mean? It simply said those who are dead to Christ are now alive to him. Those who could care less now love him. Those who are wanderers are now worshipers. Those who are lost have been found by God. And everything that kept them away from God, all their sins, all their filthiness, all, their, all of our stuff, the Lamb of God has taken that away and paid for it. And the one who does this, John says, is the Son of God. Who takes care of our separation with God? God does. When we run away from God, you know what He does? He runs after us. And He uses the language of family. Daughters, sons, Sisters, brothers, who come to Him, the Lamb of God, to have their sins forgiven and be united to one another and united to our Creator, restored in who we are. Now in conclusion, if John the Baptizer, who's a pretty wild dude, man, I mean, I kind of like the way he's described, kind of crazy, yelling at people, eating bugs, man, like probably could probably could fight you know I, I kind of like this guy right like he's not like a guy on my wrestling team or something right we'd only get to eat the bugs not the honey because we we're always cutting weight <laughs> if he's willing to say not about me we too have to say it's not about us but when we behold the I am we know right that we are the, the I am not. And that's not a, um, a put down on human beings. It doesn't make us less. It actually makes us more. You know what makes people less? Selfishness, self-centeredness, human beings that act like they're the center of the universe, human beings that think they're God. You want to see a mess? Look at that. The world is drunk with it self and power and all the things that we say it's all about me you want to be frustrated try to make the universe flow and orbit around you the world was not made that way you're not made to worship yourselves or your favorite uh, actors and actresses and politicians and power broke you're not made for that we're made to worship one who is truly good and it's a liberating thing to say he must increase, and I must decrease. In doing so, we're freed to be followers, which Jesus said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. For day-to-day -day obeying God, right, with the way He would like us to flow and live amongst others in a way of love, you have to be freed from yourself to love. 
in order for us to love and to serve others as He uses us to seek and save others. We have to be freed from ourselves. A freed person can be a witness, right, and bear testimony to someone else. And seeing that the world and life is not about us is great for eliminating self-righteousness in people. And for whatever reason, man, this happens in realms of religion. We're the good people, they're the bad people, now I'm going to be the judge of the world. You were never made for that role. And when you see that it's not about me, you're freed from that too. And you're freed, like Jesus, to love anybody and everybody. Past the biases and prejudices that you were raised with in the communities you rolled with. Past the religious bigotry to say, no, those people could never come to Jesus. And I thank God that a guy looked past an arrogant, young, smart, full of himself, wrestler, physics major who needed Jesus desperately. And he didn't think I was too far from God. But he walked into a dorm room at UNC Chapel Hill and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now we have a very special thing that we get to do as a church. We take communion. One of the most ruinous things that could ever happen is that we think this is routine. It is not routine. Why? We get to taste and see. We get to behold the Lamb of God today, right now, together, who takes away our sins, your sins. Anyone here today who doesn't know Him, your sins. Yes, you today, man. I remember asking my friend, hey, I really can just become a Christian by putting my faith, my trust in Jesus, that He died for me, and it's that simple? Don't I have to go through the, the religious mumbo-jumbo? Don't you have to kind of throw me around in a church somewhere, or some, you know, shake and stir or something? What? You know, no, trust Him. Trust Him today. That's for you, man. You came in here today not knowing who this Jesus is. He's the one that takes away your sins, forgives you, and wants to reconcile you to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience with people. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you, Lord, that your kindness is what leads us to repentance, to turn from our sins, to turn from ourselves to you, to see you for who you are, to get the red-hot vision that this is the one that's come from God to save His people. And that we have the privilege of trusting Him day by day to follow Him in, the, in a way of life, in an ethical way of life, to follow Him in pointing others to His saving person and work, and to follow Him and to know that life isn't about us, so that we would not be slaves to sin or slaves to self or slaves to the opinions of others that we would walk in liberated freedom and know it's not to us, but to your name. Uh, be all glory, for you created all things. And by your will and by your spirit and by your son, you created this world and us and that we can know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That you've died for us to make sacrifice for all. And we remember and we celebrate that and we proclaim him right now and today.
that we might behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.